We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I further yesterday's conversation about leadership, leading in times of crisis. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. I really appreciate it. Very grateful to all of you. Yesterday I talked about leadership. I wanted to share with you the 10 or so lessons that I've learned as a result of being in the academy, in the ivory tower, trying to lead colleges and universities throughout the course of my career. I spent 17 years as president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and as I shared with you yesterday, Oklahoma Wesleyan was in financial crisis when I was hired. It was in crisis in many ways. There was a a lack of identity. The mission statement wasn't understood by hardly anyone. We needed to do something. Otherwise, the institution was going to go bankrupt in very short order. And I was hired as a brand new young president at 42 years of age to try to solve that problem. So yesterday I shared with you, and I think we got up to number seven or eight, the key lessons that I learned of what do you do? What do you do in in the midst of a mess? How do you lead? Uh, And I don't think it's just at the point of crisis. I think uh, you lead this way regardless. Uh, You probably adjust a few things. Like I said, in the first couple lessons, I talk about whether or not it's a, a crisis or a success, and there's a different way to respond to those two situations. Anyway, in today's show, I'm going to do a very, very, very quick overview of the first handful that I shared with you yesterday, and then we're going to finish up with the last three or so lessons of leadership. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Thanks for listening in. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. So I shared with you yesterday that uh, in my 17 years of taking over, excuse me, in my 17 years of leading an institution that I took over as president in, um, well, the middle of my career, at least. Uh, I was 42 when I was hired to become the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan, and I shared with you that the institution was in was insolvent, it was in crisis, it was financial uh, financially broken. Uh, one of the leaders of the church actually said that, uh, he actually welcomed me and said, welcome aboard, we're 12 months away from shutting it down. I thought, man, you've really got the gift of encouragement, don't you? Anyway, one thing you need to know about academic institutions is that um, they're almost impossible to lead. They're almost impossible to manage. In fact, the great leadership and organizational development guru, Dr. Peter Drucker, who lived into his early 90s, if I recall correctly, was once asked after he gave a presentation at uh, an Ivy League school, let's just for the sake of argument say it was at Harvard, after he was done talking, one of the 
persons in the audience raised their hand and said, Dr. Drucker, you've counseled kings and princes and prime ministers and Fortune 500 companies, and you've done so since post-World War II. You're the guy, you're the guru of leadership. Have you ever stumbled across any situation that you thought was impossible to lead, impossible to correct? And Drucker immediately said yes, the college or the church. His point was this, both are dysfunctional organizations by design. Nobody knows who the boss is at a college or a church. I mean, just think of it. Church is probably an easier one for you to to imagine right now. At the church, who's the boss? Well, is it the family that paid for the organ? Is it the decorating committee that um, selected the color of carpet? Uh, is, is it uh, the board? Uh, is it the denominational structure? Uh, who's the boss? Is it the youth, ba- youth pastor? Is it the executive pastor, the business pastor? Or is it the head pastor? In any given day, any of those people will probably raise their hand and say, I'm the boss. And then you've got a lot of others that are saying, no, excuse me, you're not. Well, therefore, the organization is dysfunctional by design. And that's the case for several types of organizations in our culture. The college is the same way. Is Who's the boss? Is it the faculty, staff, parents? Is it the donors? Um, how about uh, the board? How about the sponsoring church? How about the administration? I mean, you could go on and on and on. How about the accrediting agencies? At any given time, you're going to have a lot of people raise their hand and say, I'm the boss. And often they ignore the president as a result of that. They don't consider him to be much other than a token. Um, Political situations, same way. Uh, So my point is, even some organizations need to be acknowledged as being difficult. Uh, The terminology or the axiom uh, herding cats comes to mind right now. The implication there is that it's impossible to do so. You can't herd cats. So if you're part of an organization that is comprised of a bunch of cats, uh, you've got a challenge right off the bat. But I think these lessons apply because, keep in mind, I learned them at an academic institution in the process of, quote, unquote, herding cats. So enough of that. The first lesson I shared with you yesterday was... When you inherit failure, be thankful, but break it. Break the organization and start over. So if you inherit an organization that's broken and failing, uh, don't try to put Band-Aids on the problems. If the ship is sinking, you're not going to keep it from doing so by just putting pieces of tape or Band-Aids on the leaks. You need to break the organization. You need to dismantle the the ship in in a sense. You need to Make sure that you get it up into dry dock, fix it, and then start over. And I mentioned to you that it's actually a blessing to inherit a crisis because you are permitted to do so much that you would never be able to do in leadership if you inherited a healthy organization. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, If you inherit a company, a college, a culture, a community, if you inherit something that is in crisis, if you inherit something that is broken, don't try to fix it. Don't hesitate to actually break it. Break the failure, put it up in dry dock, tear it apart, fix what needs to be fixed, and then you can put it back in the water and you can sail away. So 
If you inherit failure, break it and start over. Never, never let a good crisis go to waste. The second lesson was, if you inherit success, don't break it. Because the guy that came before you probably did a decent job. He may have actually had his job rather than you because he was better than you. So your job if you inherit success is basically don't screw it up. Celebrate the things that have worked and keep doing them. Don't act like you have to destroy the entire organization if it is successful and if many of the things that your predecessor were doing worked. Have enough humility to thank him for those things and to keep doing them. The third lesson I learned in leadership was you can't make everybody happy. And if that's your in instinct, if you, if you like making everybody happy, you, you're in the wrong job because leaders don't make everyone feel good. Um, the only way to do that that I'm aware of is go sell ice cream. Don't pretend to be a leader if popularity is your goal. Your goal should be to lead the organization. Your goal shouldn't be to make everybody happy. Fourth lesson I learned in leadership was to never bend the knee to the mob. Now, you're going to have people, and I see it all the time right now. You see it in politics. You see it, you see it in the academy. You see it everywhere, where all of a sudden a mob will rise up and say, you offended us. You're a terrible human being. You're, you're guilty of, and then fill in the blank, some sort of phobia. You're a hater. You're a bigot just because you expressed an idea that they don't like. Well, you need to realize that you never bow the knee to that mob because it'll never be enough. I don't care how much you bow in submission to the mob. That won't be enough. You can apologize till the cows come home. If you bend the knee, they're going to want your head. Never bow the knee to the rage mob. It's better to lose your head than to lose your soul. Conviction is respected. Weakness is not. The next, the next lesson of leadership is that truth matters most. Uh, defend it, model it, never compromise it, never supplant it. Truth must always be first and foremost. Without truth, there is no trust. Without truth, you're not, you're not going to have a team. Oh, you may have a leadership position, but they will despise you. They will resent you. They won't follow you because they don't trust you. The best some summary of this principle is this. If anything is more important to you than truth, then you've already failed because you have no respect. You may have a job, but you're not a leader if you're not telling people the truth. The next one, next lesson of leadership is this. If you're not willing to lose, you're never going to win. You have to be willing to lose. You have to be willing to do the right thing. Leaders are those that are willing to wave the right banner, recognizing that they may lose that battle by waving that banner, but they know doing the right thing, waving the right banner is the right thing to do. And if you win waving that banner, great, that's God's grace. And if you lose, so be it. You're, you're willing to go down fighting. Wave the banner. If you win, that's great. Again, God's grace. If you lose, who really cares? You have to be willing to lose in order to win. The seventh lesson of leadership is to care enough to confront. All of this talk of grace and love and compassion as if it's the antithesis, the opposite of, in juxtaposition to truth, discipline, and confrontation, as if these are two different ways of living. It's nonsense. It's a lie. That's a false dichotomy. As I said, it's two sides of the same coin. You have grace and love 
compassion on one side of the coin, truth, discipline, and confrontation on the other side of the coin, you have one coin. This is one worldview. And if you pretend that one side of the coin is more important than the other, if you try to remove one side of the coin at the expense of the other, you destroy the coin. It's not, it, it can't exist without two sides, obviously. And you, you become get more guilty of enabling than you do leading if you overemphasize the grace, love, and compassion side, and if you're not willing to confront and discipline and tell people the truth. I mentioned yesterday the paradoxes of if you, if you want water, it's got to rain. If you want to harvest, the seed has to die. There is no heat unless there's a fire. No pain, no gain would be another axiom that is very similar to those. In other words, you have to have that tension. You have to have that confrontation. You have to have the discipline. Otherwise, people will never grow. They will always be stagnant because you've enabled more than you've led. So those were the lessons of leadership that I talked about yesterday. I thought it'd be appropriate to just go through them very quickly again and give you that overview. And by the way, if you're interested in reading about this more, it's, um, it's in my chapter in my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. It's in the chapter of about page 190 is where it starts, and it's titled, Sit at the Exit Door. That's the title of the chapter, Sit at the Exit Door. In other words, you've been charged to lead. When you get on the airplane and they ask you if you're willing to sit at the exit door, what are they asking you? They're asking you to be prepared to lead if indeed there's a crisis and folks need to get out of the plane. They're telling you that you need to know how to open the door and that you need to help people get out of the crisis, get out of the plane. You need to help solve the problem. You need to lead. So the eighth lesson, okay, we're into new ones now. The eighth, eighth lesson, excuse me, the eighth lesson of leadership that I learned while I was in the academy, my 17 years as a college president, as well as the multiple years prior to that, where I served as a vice president and dean, etc. The eighth lesson that I learned is that you need to double down. Never, never back down. Never turn it down or tune it down. When people tell you, that you need to tone it down, turn it down, tune it down, that you need to back down. Don't do it. Double down and refuse to give in to any doubt. Double down. Don't doubt. Everyone, here's my point here. Everyone has friends and foes. I don't care who you are. You've got people who like you and those that dislike you. You have friends and you have foes. You have colleagues and fellow soldiers, and you have enemies. Everyone has friends. Everyone has foes. We're all going to be criticized by some, and we're going to be praised by others. I mean, this is just life, right? I don't care how successful you are. You're going to get criticism. You're going to have foes. So how do you know who to listen to? How do you know when you've got people at both ends of the continuum. You have friends, you have foes, you have colleagues, you have enemies. How do you know who to listen to? Well, I think there's one way that's pretty simple. What's the track record of those that are talking? 
If your critics are failures in their own lives, then ignore them. That sounds harsh, I suppose. And I'm not trying to pick on people, but some people have more successes on their resume. And a lot of people have a lot of failure on their resume. So if your critics, those picking at you, are failures in their own lives, in their own professions, ignore them. Don't worry about it. If the critic is someone who has nothing invested, and he just chooses to sit on the sidelines and critique and criticize in hopes of tearing you down rather than leading, you know, it's easy to tear a person down. That has nothing to do with leadership. So if that's who's criticizing you, just somebody who's been on the sidelines his entire career, and he's more of a critic than he is an actual leader, somebody that's actually been successful in the arena of life or in the profession that you've chosen, just ignore him. I'd suggest that you take to heart the words of President Teddy Roosevelt. Here's what he said. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails daringly and greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Close quote. Teddy Roosevelt. That's a great quote. I'm going to read it to you again. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who has a face that is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who at worst, if he fails, at least fails daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Close quote. Teddy Roosevelt. President Roosevelt knew that leaders are more often torn apart by those who are not in the arena than by those who are. So don't worry about it. Recognize it's not the critic that counts. It's the guy who has blood, sweat, dust, and dirt on his face because you've been fighting. You've dared. You've dared great things. And you're not going to accept being among the cold and timid souls that neither know victory nor defeat. They've just been sitting and complaining about you and others. So... If those who offer their criticism are more successful than you, then you should listen to them. I'm not saying never listen to criticism. If somebody's more successful than you, listen. Listen to them. If those challenging you have done more than you, then be humble enough. Pay attention. Listen to the words that they have to share and the insight they offer. Maybe it'll help you grow into being a more effective leader. So, not at all. I'm not telling you to not listen to people's criticism. In fact, I'm telling you, seek it out, but make sure the person criticizing is somebody who actually has a track track record that warrants it. An effective leader is going to listen to other people who have led. Other people who have the knowledge base and the experience to be watching you and saying, "Mm, you might want to rethink that one. 
If those complaining about you have never accomplished much, take their criticism with a grain of salt. When small men and malcontents are shooting arrows at your back, it's a sure sign you're going in the right direction. Keep going. Stay the course. Double down and refuse to give in to doubt. Did you hear that? If you've got arrows in your back, that means you're going somewhere. You're going somewhere. So double down and refuse to give in to doubt. The ninth lesson of leadership is to stay on message. Now, hopefully, hopefully you've heard me do this over and over again. Too often, the vision is lost and the message is vague and it keeps shifting. So stay on point. It's a key to becoming an effective leader. It's been said that there are three secrets to success, and you should be able to tell me what they are, because I've said this over and over again on this show. What are the three secrets to success? Repetition, repetition, repetition. Those are the three secrets to success. Repeat it once, repeat it twice, repeat it three times, over and over again. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Stay on point. That is the mark of an effective leader. Winston Churchill, he's an example. He modeled a single-minded focus when he said, never give in, never, 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 never give in, his famous speech. We know Churchill for that speech, for that repetition. If there's anything that distinguishes great leaders from those who aren't, those who fail, it's this confidence to speak the message with clarity and passion and to do it over and over and over again. Be a one-string banjo, okay? Wave your banner, and then wave it again, and wave it again, and again. Shout your battle cry, and then shout it again, over again, and over again. Sooner or later, here's what's going to happen. You'll find that not only do those following you believe your message, they believe you, but you're starting to believe your own message, and you're starting to believe yourself, Your doubts disappear and you actually have confidence. You have more confidence than you had at the beginning because of the repetition. By staying on message, you're modeling consistency and your vision that is heard as the result of you staying on message results in people following you. And at that point, you know you're a leader. The tenth lesson. Tenth lesson in leadership. If you want to find a snake, listen for the rattle. I don't know if that's a good old oaky axiom or not, but this is a key one. This is so critical. Some say that there are only two things that are sure in life, death and taxes. It's hard to argue with that, I suppose. But I would add a third. A third thing that is as sure as death and as sure as taxes. There are three things that are sure in life. Death, taxes, and gossip. Okay? Death, taxes, and gossip. Now, hear me say that in the context of the lesson, the tenth lesson. If you want to find a snake, listen for the rattle. Leaders are going to be maligned. Leaders are the targets of every form of innuendo, exaggerated stories, and even blatant lies. If you're leading, sure as the sunrise, 
people will gossip about you. And the best advice I ever received was from a man named C.B. Kolar, who was in his 80s when I was hired, still healthy and vibrant and sharp and bright. He was actually brilliant in many ways. When I inherited the presidency and it was at its peak of crisis, I had to make some difficult decisions, budget decisions. People's jobs were being changed. Or they they were being terminated because we didn't have enough money. I mean, I, I had to somehow figure out how to live within our budget. And people didn't like it. They're never going to like that. And C.B. Cola knew that people were gossiping about me in town, at the church and whatnot. They were complaining. They were saying things. Probably a lot of it was exaggerated. And like I said, it was loaded with innuendo. He doesn't know what he's doing. And the exaggerated stories that weren't even true. And some of the stuff was just blatant lies. And when you're subject to that type of stuff, you want to fight back, don't you? You want to say, that's not true. You want to start fighting and pushing back. You want to fight fire with fire. And C.B. Cola showed up at my office one day in the midst of all of this crisis and all this innuendo, all this gossip. And he looked at me and he just said one thing. Five words. Mr. President, just be quiet. Close quote. Just be quiet. What was his point? Well, it was this. When people are speaking ill of you, just be quiet. When the naysayers sow dissension about you, just be quiet. When you're falsely accused, just be quiet. The best way to find the snake in these situations is to listen for the rattle. Let the snakes around you make the noise. Let them be the rattlers. Because eventually, they're the ones that are going to lose their heads. If you want to find a snake, listen for the rattle. Don't rattle. Let your success do the talking. Just be quiet and lead. Now, in closing, I want to say this. All of the guidance in the world, everything I've talked about, is worthless. It's of no value whatsoever if you're not willing to put it into action. And that's the summary of what I learned as a college president. You can have the right ideas, but you need to actually put them into action. You, you need to do something about it. Otherwise, they're worthless. James says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Uh, so the point of this is that adults do things. Ch children don't. Adults lead, children follow. Adults take action, children sit and complain. Adults run toward the storm, children run and hide. Adults rush into falling buildings while children watch and wait to see what happens. Adults have courage, children cower. Followers are content to be directed. Leaders have to act like adults. Remember that. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is the rebellion.